Hello and welcome to Central's podcast. We pray your heart is touched through listening and that it helps you in your walk with Jesus. Today's message is from Pastor Kurt. As we continue in this series called The Tent, we keep coming back to the same verse over and over again where the Lord was telling Moses how to construct this thing called the tabernacle. And in Exodus 25, 8, it says, have them make a sanctuary for me and I will dwell among them. Basically what he was doing is he was saying, your rebellion, your sin, all these things that separate, they will never be powerful enough to keep me from you. He kept Uh, he kept bringing opportunities to them that he would dwell among them. So even though they were sinning, even though they were walking in their own ways at times, he had Moses have others construct this portable tent called the tabernacle that his presence would be with them, an everlasting reminder of the importance and his will to be in close relationship with with us. Now we know what we're doing is we're taking a look at these items, these furnishings that were in the tabernacle, these ancient ways of worship, and we're pulling them into today. We're saying, what do they mean for us today in the new covenant? So we know in 1 Corinthians, it says that we are temples of the Holy Spirit. So no longer is God dwelling upon the mercy seat in the tabernacle. He dwells within us through his Holy Spirit. So now we can start to take these furnishings and these pieces and what the priests would do in the tabernacle and say, what does this mean for my relationship with Jesus today, thousands of years later? What does it mean with how I can worship the Lord, how I can interact with him and have relationship with him? So the very first week, we talked about the entrance gate, how all the tribes of Israel were camped out around this structure and how they had to enter into, there was this one gate, this one curtain that was opened up, and how any average worshiper could come into this place. Now we know in modern day, this gate represents Jesus. In fact, he says it in the gospels, that he says he's the gate. Anybody who comes through him will be saved. So we know the modern day walking through the gate is when we enter into salvation through Jesus, all right? So the next part we came to was the altar of burnt offering. So you'll see some of the pictures up here as well. Once they entered through that gate, they would bring, the average worshiper would bring their animal for sacrifice. This was a perfect spotless animal that they would put upon this altar. And what that represented and what that did is it provided atonement for the sin of the worshiper. It was that animal dying in place of the worshiper. It was that substitution that only lasted for a short time. Now we know that prophesies toward that, that looks toward Jesus who would once and for all shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sins. That's what we get to look for. We don't ever have to bring an animal. We don't have to bring these sacrifices. Now we are the living sacrifice that we can say, God, use us. We are available to you because of what your son has done for us. The third week, we looked at this item called the bronze basin. This is past the altar of burnt offering. And what would happen here is the priests only, not the average worshiper, but the priests would wash their hands and would wash their feet. This was a sign or a symbol of self-reflection, self-examination, and also preparation to enter into the tent that we actually call the tabernacle 
or the holy place. Today, it represents still self-examination and purification, but that doesn't happen through that water. It happens through the water of the word of God. It happens through the capital W word, who is Jesus. It talks about in the book of John. So listen, when we're looking at all these items, we're saying, this is Old Testament. This is Old Covenant. That's already been dealt with. We're in the New Testament. Listen, Everything in the first half of the book is still important. We're just applying it to the new covenant. we got to stop getting lost in these details and, and, and the wordings and so on and slow down enough to say, how does this point to Jesus and how does this flesh out in the new covenant now that we have Jesus? Last week, Pastor Adam did a great job revealing to us and explaining the table of showbread and how each of these loaves represented one of the tribes that were camped out around the tabernacle, how the Lord wants to have that fellowship with us, how Jesus is the true bread of life. And when we partake of him, we remain in fellowship with the Father. Amen? So today what we're going to do is take a look at the lampstand the lampstand is the second out of three items in this place called the holy place. As Adam talked about last week, the, the priests were the only ones allowed to come into this tent. And then once they were in this tent, there were two rooms. There was the holy place and the most holy place. And again, you could start getting lost in all these terms and what happens here. We know on that one side was the table of showbread, which Adam talked about last week, which we're talking about today is the lampstand right in the middle is the altar of incense, and then behind that next curtain, it's the big show, the Ark of the Covenant, where the Lord's presence actually dwelt. But what we also learned is this. We moved when we were outside with the sun shining down in the outer courts. All those things were covered with bronze. Bronze represents God's judgment upon our humanity. Now that we're getting closer to the ark and the presence, everything is not covered with gold, but it is pure gold, this lampstand. And then the walls were overlaid with gold. God, that gold represents God's righteousness and God's glory. So it's no longer about our humanity and God's judgment. Now we're stepping into the glory of God and understanding what his presence can do in our life. So we think about this lampstand, I think about light. I know light is very important. I know as a parent, nightlights have been very important to us. So we had four kids in just under four years. So Samuel, our youngest, was born four days before, wait, yeah, before Isabella was four years old. So at one time in our life when we had toddlers and preschoolers, there were a lot of toys involved. And that means a ton of fun and excitement and laughter during the day and at night, it was almost deadly for parents, right? So if any of those toys were left out and the nightlight wasn't shining on the right thing, if you're a parent, you could imagine that Lego just going straight through the heel of your foot or stepping right on a Star Wars figure and having that nose pierce the middle of your, your foot. Now, whether you have kids or not, if you've ever walked through a dark room without a nightlight, your pinky toe has probably met the corner of a bedpost before and it feels like you're going to die. <laughs> So it's important to have that night, that light shining, because what did it do? It wasn't just to soothe the fear of a child. It was to guide the parent through the obstacle course of the toys. And in the holy place, this light was to do something very similar. It was to guide the priests in their worship of their Lord. 
It was their responsibility to minister primarily to the Lord. It was no longer focused on the people bringing their worship. Now this was the priests ministering unto the Lord. We've talked about this a few weeks ago of how the busybodies of the American church can miss this. We like to be productive and do things and serve in ministry. And we wanna celebrate those things. That's all good. But we've forgotten the primary purpose of us being a, a, a royal priesthood is to minister unto the Lord. You know, it's, I have to check myself regularly with that. It's like all the busyness that we have in ministry versus the time spent. So this light was meant to illuminate this holy place so that the priests could do, fulfill their responsibilities with the showbread and the altar of incense. It was guiding them in how to function in the presence of the Lord. So what we're gonna do, we usually have the words up on the screen here, but what I want you to do is just look at this lampstand as I'm reading it. If you wanna follow along, you could turn to Exodus 25, starting at verse 31. I'm gonna read out of the NIV, but because it talks about these almond flowers and buds and blossoms, again, the reader could get lost and confused very quickly. So I just wanted you to connect with the image of what God was telling Moses to build and we'll get into what its meaning today uh, can stand for. Verse 31, it says this, make a lampstand of pure gold. Hammer out its base and shaft and make its flower-like cups, buds and blossoms of one piece with them. Six branches are to extend from the sides of the lampstand, three on one side and three on the other. Three cups shaped like almond flowers with buds and blossoms are to be on one branch three on the next branch, and the same for all six branches extending from the lampstand. And on the lampstand, that's the main shaft, there are to be four cups shaped like almond flowers with buds and blossoms. One bud shall be under the first pair of branches extending from the lampstand. A second bud under the second pair. A third bud under the third pair. Six branches in all. Now, if you want to be honest with yourself, if you are reading a part of this as a part of a reading plan, you probably could have started getting confused, like what in the world are all these buds and blossoms and almond trees? Like, I don't care, I just want to get done, right? That could happen when you're reading these things. But if you take time to do some research, get yourself a study Bible, get on a reputable site that can kind of show you some study notes, you'll start to see these things come alive. In verse 36, it says, the buds and branches shall all be one piece, with a lampstand hammered out of pure gold. Like we need to stop and recognize this is a beautiful piece of artwork. This is sol one piece of solid gold. It wasn't glued together or screwed together. I mean, this is what the Lord had them build to represent this part of the glory of God. He goes on to say, then make the seven lamps and set them out so that they light the space in front of it. So Picture this light, it's lighting the space in front of it, but it's also reflecting off of the gold walls, which would then create a brighter reflection. It says it's wick trimmers and trays are to be part, uh, are to be of pure gold. A talent of pure gold is to be used for the lampstand and all its accessories. That talent, to my estimations, is 75 pounds of pure gold. In today's day, that would be $1.5 million just for a lampstand. And we look at the richness and the glory of what the Lord is trying to represent here. It's just quite amazing. 
Now, as I began to look at what this lampstand represents, and there's, there's uh, multiple meanings and symbolisms within this, but just generally speaking, when you're looking at this lampstand, it symbolizes the sevenfold expression of the Spirit of God. You might say, well, what in the world did you get that for? Or how did you get that? Well, when you start to look at different cross-references and how Scripture ties together, you'll realize that the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, expresses himself, manifests himself in different ways that are actually talked about in Scripture. This number seven is also a number throughout the Bible as the, a number of divine completion. So when we're talking about this lampstand representing sevenfold expression, that might sound confusing, just know this. When you're looking at that lampstand, think about the Holy Spirit manifests himself in different ways on this earth and in my life, but it's a number of completion how he functions today. The completeness of the Spirit of God. Now, this is all the way back in Exodus, God's telling, but I want to jump all the way to the last book of the Bible in Revelation chapter 4. John is having a vision of heaven, and something's taking place here. It says in verse 5, From the throne came flashes of lightning, rum rumblings, and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, so right in front of the throne of God, seven lamps were blazing. Now, this is just Old Testament. It doesn't really matter anymore. Let's stay in the New Testament. All the way at the end of the New Testament, John's having visions of what is yet to come. And in front of that throne are seven blazing lamps. What are they? He says, they, these are the seven spirits of God. Now, theologically in the Bible, we're not saying there's seven Holy Spirits. There's seven expressions of the same spirit. Seven is a number of completion. Now, if we look back and say, okay, well, where were these, where, is, where are these actual spirits, these manifestations, these expressions explained about? Well, if we go all the way back to the Old Testament again, where it's talking about Jesus being born from his lineage of Jesse, we'll start to see these things listed out. Isaiah 11, verse 1 says, A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. This is talking about Jesus. Now follow this out. It says, The Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. That Lord means authority. So there's a spirit of authority. That's one. The Spirit of wisdom. The Spirit of understanding. The Spirit of counsel and of might. The Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. Isaiah is prophesying about how the Holy Spirit is going to be expressed through the person of Jesus. Now let's be reminded, in this covenant, the Spirit of the living God lives in you and me. The moment we say yes to Jesus, he comes and he dwells within us. Now we look back at that lampstand and we say, that fire upon there, we know we've heard something before about Jesus being the light of the world. That's the Holy Spirit expressing himself through Jesus, the light of the world. It's that light coming to pierce all of the darkness, to illuminate our soul at the moment that we are born again. So you think about the first time, I don't know if the curtain was closed or open the first time that these candles were lit. You just picture 
Candle after candle being lit and light starting to shine brighter and brighter and brighter and brighter. Think about that happening in your soul spiritually. Lord, that you would illuminate my soul, that you would brighten my soul, that you would shine on my soul like never before. Yes, you're already born again. Yes, you're already in relationship with Jesus, but there can be more, right? Unless you're walking the perfect life and you always have perfect joy and perfect peace, then there are crevices in your heart that the Lord can invade with his spirit and with his light to illuminate. Amen? All right, so the Spirit of God illuminates our soul for salvation. He puts light in our soul for salvation. And he puts fire in our spirit for power. Those are two very distinct things in Scripture. There is an illumination, a lighting of your soul, light pushing out darkness when you are born again. And there's also a fire that is lit in your spirit for the purpose of power so that you can show light to others who are in dark. So let's get to these almond flowers. I know you guys have been waiting for this. What in the world do they mean? In verse 33, it says, it talks about three cups shaped like almond flowers with buds and blossoms on each branch. In the main shaft, there are to be four uh, almond flowers with buds and blossoms. What I want you to see is this. Any, any, arm you go down, which represents a different expression or manifestation of the Holy Spirit. When you start at the shaft, that shaft, that main shaft is all, anytime you're looking at a structure like this, it's all about authority. It's what is making it stand up. So you start with the authority of the Lord. Each of these branches is an expression of the Holy Spirit. If you take the four blossoms in the center and add them to any one of those expressions, how many blossoms do you get? Seven, you start with the main shaft four and you go down any single expression you, or any, any uh, branch, you get a seven. So what we're saying is any way the Spirit is manifesting himself, we're not gonna peel off little pieces of the Spirit. You get the fullness of the Holy Spirit. But there's still distinct and unique ways he ministers to you. Now, one of the things that I've learned, I think I've, I've read it a long time ago, I was just reminded of it this past week that was like, okay, this is why he's doing this, is the almond tree was the first tree in Israel to blossom and to come back to life early spring. In fact, one resource said as early as February, it would start to blossom. So think about now back then, like it would be significant maybe here if it was an an orange or an apple or something, but for them, this was the very first plant to have new life. So to them, when they're seeing this, they're thinking the Lord will not hasten his promises. The Lord will be quick to fulfill his promise. There is new life coming soon. I mean, it was a declaration of a promise every time they looked at these things. Also, if you take the root word of the word almond tree, the words watchful and the words alert are right within that. Now you might say, this is getting too complicated. How would we ever know this? Think about a priest back then. They don't have to look in a Greek lexicon to figure this out, right? Or Hebrew, I should say. Like they already know this is what the word means. So when these priests are in there, it's a reminder, God is forever watchful over us. But we as priests must remain alert to fulfill the commands of the Lord. Now in this covenant, we're not fulfilling commands to gain pleasure of the Lord or to gain forgiveness. We know those things are a gift of God by his grace. 
But we are still called to remain alert to where the Spirit is guiding us. How is He guiding us? By the light of Jesus. Right? God is still watching over us. He's still fulfilling His promises. And we still must remain alert. Hopefully, for the remainder of your life, when you see this lampstand that looks archaic and ancient, you will think, He is watchful. We're remaining alert. He's fulfilling His promise. Wait, that was the tree. That was the tree that bloomed first. That was the first one. This represents new life. I spent, I don't know, 45 minutes or so reading on a couple of different sites about how all of these equal, I think 49, and then all, or the, there's 49 connections. There's all these different things that relate to the scrolls and the Hebrew Bible and like all this stuff that I don't think is going to be beneficial for us, but you can have fun reading it on your own. Let's talk about these flames. This whole entire structure was to hold these lamps that would have the flame on top of them. This flame was the only light that illuminated this holy place. They didn't have flashlights. They didn't have LED like those little push lights all up on the side. When that curtain closed and they were in it, it was going to be dark, especially at nighttime. This was the sole light that guided them around. Now, if we believe that this lampstand represents how the Holy Spirit expresses himself, then our sole reliance should still be on that one light. In fact, we should imagine ourselves each morning, be a really cool mental exercise, to imagine ourselves waking up and saying, okay, I'm already in the holy place. I already have access to the Father. The, the veil's torn. We have connection with the most holy place. But without the light of the Holy Spirit, like illuminating my path and lighting my path, I am not going to be able to see, spiritually speaking. Like picture the priest if all of those candles went out, tripping over the showbread, incense altar going everywhere. It would have been messy. People would be dropping dead too. (laughs) I mean, think about the importance of that light. They were barefoot too, right? The Lord didn't want them hitting their pinky toe on anything. They had to rely solely on that light. It is absolutely still relevant in this covenant. We must rely solely on the Spirit of God leading us every path, every day. Now, there was olive oil that actually fed this light. If you know scripturally, again, Look at the fullness of Scripture. This is one of the things, I was just talking to somebody outside. I want this entire series to point to Jesus. Point to, I want this to come alive. But what I want it to do to you, even as much as that, is I want your confidence in your ability to look at the full Bible and begin to understand it and see Jesus in it. I want that to come alive. I don't want us to be walking around saying, well, I kind of forget like that first two thirds of the Bible called the Old Testament. Like, I just want to get to what Jesus is saying. Jesus was speaking through all of scripture. So I want this to develop a hunger to slow down in this Old Testament. And again, we can, we can recommend resources for you that we trust that are reliable to be able to learn these things. But anyway, the oil represents the Holy Spirit, the presence of God. We still anoint with oil even today. It's a symbol that the presence of the Spirit of God is here. So in Exodus 27, 
The Lord says, command the Israelites to bring you clear oil of pressed olives for the light so that the lamps may be kept burning. In the tent of meeting outside the curtain that shields the Ark of the Covenant, so there's a tent, two rooms, we're talking about the first room, Aaron and his sons are to, be, are to keep the lamps burning before the Lord from evening until morning. So as this oil represents the presence of the Spirit, this is what they're saying. As you continue to feed oil in the lamp, the flame will continue to burn. That's Old Testament. Hey, guess what is New Testament? As you continue to allow the oil to flow, the flame keeps burning. Right? It's no longer a wick in a room in a tent. Now it is right here saying, Holy Spirit, keep flowing, keep flowing, keep flowing. Keep feeding my mind, keep feeding my heart, keep feeding my soul and my spirit so the flame continues to burn. In Psalm 18, 28, it says, You, Lord, keep my lamp burning. My God turns my darkness into light. I mean, that's awesome. Like you think about anything that you're struggling with in life, whether you brought it upon yourself, like in a behavior, an attitude, or a lifestyle, or maybe something that's happening to you, like physically or spiritually, you can, you can say to God, keep my lamp burning. You bring light into all of this darkness, into the confusion, the despair, the fear, whatever it is, I'm just asking you for your light to continue to penetrate the darkness. Amen. The very clear connection to this is Jesus being the light of the world. It was prophesied about in Isaiah chapter 60, verse 1. He says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. Verse 2, see, darkness covers the earth and thick darkness over the peop is over the peoples. This is the reality that is in place here. It says, but the Lord rises upon you and his glory appears over you. Now, what's the result of all this? Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. This was, this was, a foretaste of what would happen when Jesus would rise up, this light that he would become and that nations would come to him. And it's also a foretaste, a foretelling of what we would be representing Jesus. That people who lived in darkness would come to us and say, something's different about you. Your attitude is different. Your lifestyle is different. What is it? And then we would say, I read this really good self-help book about how to be successful at life. No, not at all. We would say, someone named Jesus has changed my life. Right? So you, you don't have to ever worry. Listen, if your heart's in the right place, you don't ever have to worry like, well, I don't want the attention. I just want to be in the background. And No, no, no. Let your good deeds be seen among men so that they will give glory to the Father. And that doesn't mean like do things to be seen. It just means let your life speak for itself. Let your words speak for themselves and let people notice the difference and then tell them about Jesus. Jesus says in John chapter eight, I'm the light of the world. All right, so there's a declaration there. He is the true light. Spirit's working through him. The spirit is the oil, right? Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. 
What I thought about when I was looking at this verse is that Jesus did not say, if you make a one-time decision for me and say you believe in me, but then go ahead and live your life however you've always lived it, then you're never gonna walk in darkness. He's saying, if you are following me, this is active, present tense, you're not gonna walk in darkness. So yes, you may be born again, but his intention is for you to continue to walk in him, right? So now, yes, like you sitting down in a service like this or watching online or being with a friend and saying yes to Jesus, those are life-changing moments. It's a heaven or hell issue. I'm not demeaning that, but the Lord wants it to be an active lifestyle of walking with him every day. It's picking up your cross daily and following him. So if you feel like you're in darkness, confusion, and so on, I would start to ask the Lord, do you have me in a quiet season where you're not speaking because you just need me to rest in you? Or do I have to do a better job of like finding the light once again and following you because you know the path that's laid out? I think just asking that question will create better dialogue between you and the Father too. Amen? I want to read one more verse about light and then transition it to us for the closing. It says in 1 John 1, chapter 5. Nope, 1 John 1, verse 5. It says, this is the message we have heard from him, Jesus, and declare to you, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. Like, I love that. I love it, love it, love it. When you think about the new Jerusalem, it's gonna descend upon the new earth. There's a new heavens and a new earth. We use words like heaven and hell. Like, again, if you read your Bible, you're not gonna be in heaven forever. You'll be in the new Jerusalem where Jesus will be there, okay? He'll be on his throne and there will not need to be any sun and there will be no shadow. Like if you just think about that for a little bit, that, that should make you appreciate the importance of the light of who he is. Like no sun, no spotlight, no LED, no stage lights. Jesus, right in the middle. No shadow. And we have the spirit of this one called Jesus in us that wants to like shine on any shadow of our heart or our mind. Like right now. It says, if we, have cl- if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet we walk in darkness, we lie and we don't live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is currently actively in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And it says, in the blood of Jesus, his son purifies us from all sin. I started to think about times like at the altar when I've talked to people after they've either gone through like forgiveness and inner healing or maybe they've been baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit. And both of the times I've talked to real people like you and me from this church that have had multiple benefits from that moment with the Lord. So it's basically like this. They found the light in a greater way. They've asked the Holy Spirit to do something unique. Maybe they said, you know what? As soon as I forgave that person, healing came. Or when I was filled with the Holy Spirit, like revelation, an idea came that got me over this other problem somewhere else in my life. Start thinking, man, this is the sevenfold expression of the Holy Spirit. 
Like when he shows up, you might be asking him for one thing, but you're getting the full dose of the Holy Ghost. And all we do, we say, we just want more. We want more of your light. That's all. We don't have to sound religious with it. We don't have to say the right words. Say, I, Holy Spirit, I want more light shining in any dark crevice in my life. And I just want you to light me up. Now there's a, a switch that occurs in scripture where Jesus, he never stops being the light, but he says in Matthew 5, you are the light of the world. So it's like Jesus is the light of the world. We receive Jesus, we get light in us through the Holy Spirit, illuminating, lighting up our soul. He says, you're the light of the world. He says, the town built on a hill can't be hidden, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Like that would be silly, right? It says, instead they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the room or in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds. We've already talked about this and glorify your father in heaven. What I like about this is that there's light that has come into us for our benefit and our salvation, all right? But there is an experience called the baptism in the Holy Spirit. In fact, we just released a video, I think on Friday, about it. This experience is not about light coming in us. It's about fire coming upon us. And this is no longer just for our benefit, but it's to be a benefit for other people. And it's not like we're not going to put a hat over the flame. We're going to let the flame shine because what does Jesus say happens? It gives light to what? Everybody in the room. So it's no longer just about you having light shining in yourself. It's about light coming out from you to dispel darkness around you. Same Holy Spirit, different expression. You're just getting a different arm of the lamp. Are you with me? So what we're going to do is take time at the altar. Adam's going to just lead us in a few different songs. And we're just going to ask you, if you are simply asking for more light from the Holy Spirit, whatever that means, wherever you are, you'll be invited to come forward in just a few moments. You might think you know what you want to experience, what you want to receive, but picture the entire lampstand being handed to you in this moment. And just ask Jesus to shine on you. There's a verse, in fact, you could stand at this time, but there's a verse I just want to close with here. Again, if you're, at your home, if you're in your house right now, do what the Holy Spirit's leading you to do. You might have kids running around in this moment. It might not seem like a holy moment, but the Spirit of God can still touch you in a powerful way. Verse 12, uh, Luke 12, verse 35 says this, be dressed, ready for service and keep your lamps burning. What does that mean? Be dressed, we, even we can connect that with the armor of God, right? Be dressed, ready for service, not just light shining in, but light shining out. Be dressed, ready for service and keep the lamp burning. It is my heart's desire for my lamp to burn brighter and brighter. And I pray that it is yours too. Our altar team and the ministry team can come forward at this time. And again, this is not a strong emotional call. This is this. Do you want your flame burning brighter? If so, you're welcome to come forward, 
Have somebody partner with you in prayer and let the Holy Spirit move upon you. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe and go visit centralconnect.org for more information and media.